Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. We appreciate everybody that's tuning in. Squad Fest is over, and man, what a success that was. Great time, for sure, in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it was it was very, very nice being able to see everybody out there just enjoying some freedom. Um, this podcast is up on YouTube now, so be sure to go head over to YouTube, subscribe to it, and uh, you can watch all the shenanigans unfold. This podcast is brought to you by the one and only Dive Bomb Industries, maker of Squad Fest. Um, they put on a hell of an event. And I got to tell you, seeing everything that they offer, it's insane. They're not just a decoy company. They got bags. They got clothing. They got their hands in so many things. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be a part of their company. And uh, they still make the best silhouette that's on the market right now. Uh, as the, as the days tick on in summertime, it is time to start getting ready for hunting season. So check out Dive Bomb Industries for anything that you're going to need, whether it's apparel, whether it's a nice new gun case, whether it's a floating bag, or if it's decoys, be sure to get the bags. You got to get the bags if you get the silhouettes. They got to pack up, keep everything nice and tidy. Go to DiveBombIndustries.com, get everything that you're going to need because the season is right around the corner. This podcast is also brought to you by Bangtail Whiskey. It's a traditional corn mash whiskey aged in charred new American oak barrels. You'll find a pleasant aroma of vanilla and spice before galloping into notes of nougat, sweet corn, and a lingering caramel finish. Built on a dream aged 25 years, it's handcrafted Bangtail Whiskey, and it makes for the perfect sip for the perfect drink during summertime. I know I love my whiskey sours with Bangtail Whiskey. Uh, you can order them straight from their website, and you can get whiskey shipped straight to your door, and it is delicious. I cannot I cannot recommend it enough. Bangtailwhiskey.com. It's good shit. We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. The boys at Pacific Calls, I tell you what, they cleaned up. They cleaned up house up there at Squad Fest and... Uh, now they got their sights turned on to game fair here in just a little bit, but uh, good dudes, man. I'll tell you what, seeing them uh, interact with some of the younger kids at this squad fest was was really, really touching. So uh, they make a great call. They've got great customer service. <clears throat> They've revamped their short goose call, the 206, and I tell you what, they still got one of the best duck calls that I think I've ever Ever ran in the PCD. So. And if you check out their apparel, you can get one of the world-famous Andy That's Shaver right. Shirts. That's right. We need to uh, – we got. we're going to have to pick a winner for that. Yeah. So, right now, the uh, the world-famous Andy Shaver T-shirt is – it'll be coming up on their online store. You can get it and get a nice goose call or duck call coming your way. That sold pretty well at the, at the Squad Fest. So, I was pleased. So, go check them out, PacificCustomCalls.com. Get a premium acrylic call sent your way. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells, all-American made. Hits like a freight train. Bismuth, it's back-end style, copper-plated bismuth. I love me some Boss. So many people came up to us and said, you know what, we started shooting Boss. We've been shooting been shooting some of that cheaper stuff, and uh, we don't mind forking over some of the extra dollar bills because Boss is worth it. And uh, they've got the money bag, and it's just cool, you know, they're bringing the sub-gauge culture back, and that's uh, that's cool to be a part of. I love me some boss, though. They will Good be people. at the DUX uh, Festival at Texas Motor Speedway the weekend of June 
7th and 28th. Yeah, whatever it is. And then they'll also be at Game Fair with us, or we'll be there with them. So yes. we look forward to that. But check them out, BossShotShells.com, and uh, get you a case, and you can experience the difference yourself. You'll never go back, I promise. We're also brought to you by Goose Creek Retrievers, Mr. Matt Peel, up in Maryland. Ah, I tell you what, the guy knows his shit when it comes to dog training. It's, it's always a lot of fun talking to him. We've got a little bi-monthly uh, segment that we do with him all about dog training. Um, whatever you need, whether you've got a new puppy and you're needing somebody to uh, potty train it, housebreak it, or if you're trying to get a dog ready for the field, Matt Peel is the trainer that I would send my dog to. He's, I, I follow him on Instagram. Just watch him for a little bit. It's amazing the thing that he has some of the dogs doing. Um, and, you know, he doesn't sugarcoat how he does it. It's, uh, it's kinda, he's kind of got an old-school trainer mentality, and uh, he puts out some fantastic dogs from start to finish. So um, if, you, if you're looking to send your dog somewhere, if you're looking for a new puppy, or if maybe you've just hit a, a roadblock in your training and you need somebody to talk to, Matt Peel's the man. So go check him out at Goose Creek Retrievers. We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. They've got a new blend out, the Missouri Boat Ride. It's a nice medium blend. Uh, it's fantastic. I like the high velocity personally because I'm a I'm a caffeine guy, but Dirty Duck Coffee, it's the way I start my morning every single day with a cup of the duck because my coffee does not suck. I drink Dirty Duck Coffee. They've also got some sweet-looking swag out, so if you're wanting to represent the duck, go to their website, Dirty Duck Coffee, and... Uh, get it headed your way but dirty duck coffee it's the way i start my morning out here every single day uh dirtyduckcoffee.com we're also brought to you by gun dog outdoors keep your pooch safe and secure with the patented quick release system i use it every day on lou um no matter you know what we're doing i strap his big ass in and he does not move until i want him to so it's a nice safety measure whether your dog is one that likes to uh, go when the shot is called or not, you know, all it takes is one accident. The quick release system, slap it onto the collar, and that dog doesn't get to go anywhere until you, uh, until you say so. Um, they've also got a field trauma kit that I think every hunting blind and every pickup needs. Go to gundogoutdoors.com. Um, they've also, they're proud to introduce a new training bumper. It's time to start getting your dog out there training, getting some of the rust off, getting them back in shape. And uh, basically, if, 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 if it comes to your four-legged friend, Gundog Outdoors is the company to go check out because they've got some great, great, great products for your four-legged hunting buddy. Go check them out, gundogoutdoors.com. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. Four people, best day frame. Uh, they've got the best spinners out there. Waterproof, you don't have to worry about it. If, if, you're, if your spinner takes a... Takes a dive in the water, you just pull it out and keeps on a ticking. They've also got uh, a fantastic new dog kennel for the big boys like Luke. LuckyDuck.com. It's five-star crash test rated, so you don't have to worry about anything happening to your buddy that's back there. Put them in the put them in the crate. Away you go. This podcast is also brought to you by the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. Uh, they're up on Patreon now, so. You pay uh, a little little premium fee each month, and then you get to listen. The bourbon reviews are free for everybody. They come out on iTunes and Spotify and all that all that good stuff. But they are back, boys and girls. You know, everybody put enough pressure on them. 
They had to come out of retirement. So the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast is back. They're up on Patreon. Uh, you go through Patreon, pay your monthly subscription, and then you get uh, premium access to all of the all the good things going on with Logan and Reb. Had the pleasure of hanging out with him all weekend at the at the Squad Fest. It's a very he's, it's a very good time. He's very entertaining. I highly recommend you checking out the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast on Patreon. And we've got a giveaway with them. So you listen to them on Patreon. Here in a couple episodes, they will release uh, the details. There will be a code word. You will comment that code word into their Patreon site. And that is how we're going to pick a winner for a six-person goose hunt giveaway. How many days is it? Two days? It's two days. Six people, two days, lodging and meals. Come in two morning goose hunts. Get a hunt with the world-famous Andy Shaver and get a see. Jeff Stanfield. So go check them out, like uh, Looking Glass Duck Club podcast, and it's on uh, it's on the Patreon site. This podcast finally brought, brought to you by, by Eyesight Drones, which we have pipeline inspections, wind turbine inspections, well pad inspections, power line inspections, solar panel inspections. So if you have anything in the outdoor business, outdoor stuff, oil related, construction, farming, they can take care of you. They support drain tile survey, do stand counts, ranch land inspections, severe weather inspections, livestock counts, and watershed mapping. Folks, it's 2021, and drones are part of our world. Eyesight drones can do it all. Construction, farming, ranching, oil, every industry can use it. It's so much easier and quicker, and they can get stuff done. They can do 3D modeling, volumetrics, aerial site mapping, and job site monitoring, and that's Eyesight Drones. And that's EyesightDrones.com takes the guesswork out of everything. You just call them, and they tell you everything about your land that you need to know. Eyesight Drone Service. We're happy to have them on board. That's all of them. This, uh, this episode. Whoa, 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 whoa. We forgot about Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Oh, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Look us up at stanfieldhunting.com. Okay. Now that's all of them. Yep. Man, what a plug for your own company. Been in business almost 30 years. Dove season's coming up. If you still need a place to go this September or October. Give us a holler. Come in October. We're sold out in September. Come in October. We're sold out in September. If you need a goose hunt, better get a hold of Jeff pretty quick because those dates are also filling up. Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. This episode of the podcast, we're joined by Douglas Spell. He is an attorney for the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and uh, avid hunter. Been hunting his entire life. Member of Pheasants Forever. And uh, it's a good podcast. We enjoy talking to him. He's very... Uh, very level-headed individual, and uh, we talk about a lot of issues that um, we're going to have to confront as waterfowl hunters and hunters in general, outdoors, outdoorsmen. Um, we really enjoyed our conversation with Douglas, and we hope that you do too. Here he is, Douglas Spale. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast from 
the big city of Knox City, Texas. I am locally known Jeff Stanfield with the world-famous Andy Shaver. I'm having a tough time getting back in the swing of things. I butchered the the fade out on the introduction. You did. I noticed that. It's just, I, I don't know. It's weird. I don't get out much. So, like, having to, like, restart on a Monday is... What do you mean you don't get out much? Oh, I don't ever go anywhere, Jeff. You went on a world-famous ski trip earlier. You're going to the... It's t- I'm having a hard time. It's Monday, and I'm having a hard time getting back in the swing You're of things. You're going to the islands off South America in another couple of months. I'm You're having a new- hard time yeah. getting back in the swing of things. I butchered that. I feel like I've been running... See, if he's a world traveler like me, it's no big deal. It's you just, just no jump big right deal. back in. You just in. pick right back in on a Monday. And this podcast is brought to you by Lucky Duck. Just got back from Squad Fest in, Kansas City, or in St. Louis, Missouri. Great time. Yeah. A good time. Do you still have a hangover? No, I don't. I didn't have a hangover yesterday, Jeff. But you did the day, first day. The first day was a little rough. Yeah, you drunk Saturday. like a frat boy hanging out with them kids. With us today online from Kansas City, Missouri. We're getting some cutout on sound or something. Sound a little yeah, because it's, it's just go. Okay. Mr. Douglas Spell. And Douglas is a attorney with the Corps of Engineers, the Army Corps of Engineers. Douglas, how are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. You'll uh, you'll be talking down to us today, so like just prepare yourself. Like you're talking to a couple couple Neanderthals here on some of this stuff. So bear with us, all right? Go easy. Now you're a really really smart man, and you're an attorney, and you have common sense. That don't always go together with because most of my attorney f- friends lost common sense when they went to law school. Have you retained yours? Uh, I think just being around people, the type of work I do, and just really trying to avoid being that type of person. I like to just talk to people and walk through all my stuff and kind of writing helps me a lot too, just to be able to take those highly complex legal arguments and package them down so everyone can understand them. What do you mean writing? Like you have ideas in your head or are you preparing for a book? What are you talking about there? I do some writing in the outdoors. I've just started a little bit, but writing on my side, journaling and just talking to folks all across the country and what I like to do and you know, going with my passions and just talking to people. I, I'm, I'm just interested in how people live and how, what people do, and that just keeps me kind of centered, if you will. You, uh, you deal with people that are pissed off a lot, I'm sure, because of y'all. What's the word I'm looking for when you go in and take something? Uh, God almighty, I know this word so many times. A right away, a government. Uh, what's it called when y'all just take land from someone? So that could be either called uh, eminent domain that's or condemnation. Eminent domain. When you deal with that, you deal with a lot of people that are really upset most of the time, correct? Yes, people don't generally enjoy the government or some of our smaller partners taking property, correct? And, and does that happen a lot these days? Not as often as you'd think, just because, and usually there's got to be, there's a bunch of federal statutes or state or local statutes that control that, and you got to serve some public purpose, but you're right, people get angry, and when you do that, there's always a lot of interest involved, both in my role now and my prior life in Chicago. There's always a lot of interest involved, so you're just not going to make everyone happy. Is, is, do they get paid above market value on that land, or do they just pay market value, or what they consider market value? In my experience, it depends on the project itself and the willingness for other people to negotiate. I don't want to give away litigation strategy or anything here, but it just depends mostly. It's a case-by-case basis. It depends on the project that's happening. That makes sense. Like on the, on the Mississippi River, this is, this is really going to be a dumb, dumb, dumb question, but we're in a drought in Texas, a horrible drought. We're not right now. We're wet, but it, it, years we go through droughts. New Mexico, Arizona. Is there not a logical way to take water out of the Missouri 
that goes into the Mississippi and build a canal system in this country. So, because we got so much water that goes in the Gulf of Mexico that's wasted anyways. Yeah, so your question is easy, but the answer is very complex. And I'd have to work with uh, engineers, hydrologists, ecosystem folks on that one. But while that is a high priority for you and me, in the grand scheme of things, that might not be a high priority for other folks. So that one is, is going to be lower on the totem pole. Two, you're going to need a substantial amount of funding and time to negotiate that. And if you think the Mississippi to even where you're at, that's a long way. Think about how much land would be need to be acquired or regulated to go from the Mississippi to you guys, just, just for example. You think about all the regulatory that would have to take place. And then you can think about political districts, state, local, federal congressional districts, senator interests, I mean, to get a bill like that passed. Well, that's the big thing you see now is that infrastructure bill. I mean, that's that takes a lot. And then you got to remember, if I start moving water from one place, what happens to everything downstream? There's going to be causes and effects going all the way. So while the question is simple, the answer is, yeah, it should be able to get done. I think the solution would be very difficult to enact. What, and properly execute. What I've noticed about almost anything in life is if you attack a certain problem, 10 problems that you didn't see come and pop their head up. And I just think that would be a prime example of that. Hey, you're, you're exactly right. That, that's exactly. I mean, even if you work on a levy project and you're trying to be build up a levy or some sort, there's going to be all sorts of interest. Levy districts, congressional districts, private landowners, ecology they're just you're right it, everything doesn't exist in a vacuum so you always have to be able to balance all those interests and just like organizing a group of 10 people when you say <laughs> oh where are we going to go eat and eight of them don't like it or eight of them like it and two of them don't you're like well all right we're going to stay hungry then <laughs> unless we all figure this out yeah, or just me taking my wife to eat somewhere same thing yeah and that's two people <clears throat> yes i the thing is to me it's from western nebraska western kansas the panhandle of texas that area right there could benefit if they could build a, a some kind of canal system from the Missouri River, which dumps into the Mississippi. It just seems to me we lose a lot of fresh water that goes into the Gulf, a ton that we could use to redistrict that somewhere. And I understand there's it's a complex problem, but to me, the food alone, if we're running in food shortages, that would sure fix a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree, but I, I just think... <clears throat> My simple thing, my simple answer would be that's a long ways to build a canal system. And I think going north to south from western Nebraska to the Panhandle of Texas, I mean, how how many miles is that just north to south? And then think east to west from there. It's that's just that's a lot of land to cover. Yeah. No yeah. Idea. That's why I was thinking it would be easier to just go north to south from Missouri. Instead of coming to Mississippi west is tough where gravity mm-hmm. is going to take place if you go north to south. But like Andy said, there's going to be a whole host of unintended consequences of doing that and when you think this project's going to be good oh man everything else comes up and starts bubbling up and then you could be in a serious serious situation because you could be impacting everyone else downstream the whole way to the gulf yeah have you seen any of this stuff and i just briefly saw it on twitter but i guess california's in a drought or something and now they're, they're draining some of their um water reservoirs have you seen anything about that yeah, I've, I've, I've slowly been following that on my personal time, but I think those areas are starting to come into their rainy season too. So I know the drought is historically pretty bad, 
my hope is that the rains start coming. I, I was just in Scottsdale a couple weeks ago, and man, it was hot and dry. But they, everyone tells me how hot it's there, hot, how hot it is. But I think the rains are supposed to start coming, so hopefully those pick up here soon. But draining aquifers and desalinating water, uh, ambitious goals. It's just hard to see that stuff properly executed. Well, you know, it's just like in Texas right now. All of our reservoirs where we are full are rolling over. I mean, we, we've had a wet spring, and, and they weren't down below. They were 80%, 90% anyways. But no one's talking about building new lakes. Well, our population is increasing here. We need to build a lake, some new lakes in Texas, but they won't address it until we get in a drought. And then as soon as it rains mm. again, they forget about it again. But mm. water, especially in states like Texas and Florida, I don't I don't know where Florida gets all their drinking water, but I'm, a, I'm assuming these states that are getting a big influx of people are going to have some real serious water issues. I would agree completely, and that's another one of those unintended consequences of people leaving California and going north to south from Montana down to the panhandle of Texas. That's that's enough. There you go, Andy. There's a good example of unintended consequences. People think water is always going to be around and available, but it may be. But drinking water and water to bathe your stuff, that's a little harder. And the infrastructure to support those systems, that's that's another hard question to figure out. Say your town, your, what's your county up? 300 people in it? Uh, our town is, pretty, yeah. town's yeah. 1,300. Yeah, we got 1,300 people live here. Our county probably has 4,000 people if... On Thanksgiving Day, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you had an influx of 1,000 or 2,000 people that live there permanently. Do you guys have the infrastructure to support all those water faucets, showers, utilities, like electric, waste management? <laughs> yeah. We, that's what happens. We, we would be okay on all of that stuff. We just wouldn't have no place for them to live. Yeah. We could all take a shower and drink water, but we wouldn't have nowhere to live. But if you threw 5,000 people on here, then we would be in big trouble. Just like Austin, Texas, that area down there, I, I saw somebody said there was getting 1,000 people a day are moving down in that area really? of Texas in the Central Valley there, whatever you want to call it. Well, shit, that's a lot of extra people. You're talking about adding three or 400,000 people this year to that. Mm-hmm. And have you been to Austin, Texas lately? I have not. I have not lately. I have, I've wanted to go there so i was i was born in texas san marcos i don't know how that's far from you guys but then i grew up in nebraska but i've not been to austin in a while so you're very very blessed to have moved from anywhere around austin to move to nebraska (laughs) i I don't know san marcos that's like the number one top party college in the country is it yeah that's what it's known for yeah southwest texas state can you imagine or texas state now i think it's called texas state so you come in you got your whole you're 18 17 years old and you tell your parents yeah i think i want to go to texas state they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to get a high education there, aren't you? You're going to be drinking beer and seeing all, all sorts of crazy things. I don't know if it is still the party. It used to be the party of school in Texas or the United I thought States. It was the country. Yeah, but I, I don't know about that now. I just can't imagine pitching that to my parents. Like, yeah, that's where I'm going to go. Like, oh, yeah, I'm sure. That'll be great. Like ASU? I think ASU is a pretty big party yes, of school, too. It is. But. It sure is. So uh, <clears throat> you're, a, you're a big pheasants forever guy. So do you, do, you, do you do more upland bird hunting or do you do more waterfowl hunting? I split my time half and half. It just kind of depends on the seasons. Growing up, uh, an ideal day for us was start with ducks on the river on the plat. As the morning shifts, go to get some roosters in the late morning and then finish the night at a, in a, goose, in a goose, goose blind or a goose pit closer to home. So I, I split, all, all, or split both of them, waterfowl and upland. Who, who are your influences? Who got you into hunting? 
Uh, it's in my family. My fathers did it. My brothers, my brothers did it. My uncles did it. My grandparents did it. I, when I was getting ready to do this, I, my uncle was sending me pictures of him and my grandfather with golf bags and full of roosters because they'd go golf, shoot some pheasants, <laughs> and come home. And my brother, one of my brothers, John, he was a huge, huge waterfowler too, and he traveled all over hunting. And it's just, it's, it's. I don't know the other Nebraska folks who are on here. I, I, Nebraska seems like. Hunting is just part of who we are. I remember during football season, we'd go hunt ducks, and if it was an 11 o'clock game, you maybe only have a half an hour, an hour to shoot before you got to get to Lincoln and hit the tailgate. But the later games are great because you could hunt for a while and then get down there, and you get to your tailgates, and everyone's firing up game from the day. So, yeah. So you grew up in the Midwest. In the Midwest, I think that's still pretty normal, especially in small towns in the Midwest. Hunting and, hunting and fishing and outdoors is pretty normal. But when we get to the big cities, we lose that with people. And you, I, I think you're very blessed to have moved from San Marcos to Nebraska, especially if you went to pheasant, duck, and goose hunt. Yeah. But do, do you think the kids that still live where you did in your neighborhood, do they still hunt like you did when you were a kid? Um, I don't know so much because uh, it seems like a lot of kids play a lot of sports, especially in the summer, baseball. And I did football, basketball, and track growing up. My father always made it a priority on Saturdays and Sundays to go out hunting because those were how we formed our bond with my brothers and such or with my other family members that was that was that but now kids play sports all, i don't know if you guys have kids but they play sports all the time i, I never played baseball because i was like i want my summers <laughs> right but yeah we were just talking about that um at, when we went to uh squad fest one of jeff's good friends is a high school football coach here in texas and uh we were kind of having a debate on summer workouts so I see things from like a because I'm on the school board here. So mm, if nice. I if I'm gonna get a parent complaining to me, I would rather it be on the edge. So if a parent comes and complains to me that the team's no good and we have a summer workout program, I can at least say, Well, like we're putting in the work. Like maybe mm -hmm. we just didn't catch didn't catch breaks. But he was on the side of let kids be kids and give them some time off in the summer. And I'm like, well, that's fine, you know, but as long as you do what you're supposed to do. So I see things from both sides. I've got a six-year-old and a two-year-old, so I don't know how I'll be when my time comes to have a, a teenage kid in that. But I just know as like a board member, I kind of want to put in the work. And at least that's not something that they can complain about. So, I, But I yeah. get it, man. You know, kids are so busy. When you think about it, I mean, from the time – because we did T-ball this year, and we did – flag football this fall well i mean you know you throw in basketball that's six seven year old kids that are just running through their butts from september to basically may so mm -hmm. maybe a couple months off to kind of decompress wouldn't you, be a bad thing you talked about summer baseball douglas and uh this weekend our hotel in st louis yeah they had travel baseball teams there and they had parents and kids and the i mean it's a big expenditure for the parents and the kids play, but hell, it, here it is, June fifteenth, basically mid June, and these kids are playing baseball every weekend. And these kids were from Ohio playing in St. Louis. And they traveled mm. five, six hours to play baseball. And next weekend they'll probably they might be in Omaha next weekend. Next weekend they might be in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Who knows? But they go all the time, and and it just. And I think a lot of parents have to kind of decide: okay, are we going to take our kids hunting and pay for that? Or are we going to pay for travel baseball and all the hotels that are associated with that? So, And they have to stick with those travel schedules because, I mean, you could start with those eight-year-old kids, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, 
and they get in the middle school and they get to be a freshman and you see the big colleges start looking around and mm-hmm. to get those kids noticed, whether it's AAU with basketball, seven on seven with football, they got to be out there and moving around. Otherwise, how are you going to get noticed? I mean, people aren't coming over to West Texas all the time, I'm sure, and no. looking for big high profile running backs that don't go to any camps. No, no, that's exactly right. Like, you got to stay out there and you got to stay in their eyes. I mean, it's I, just such a slippery slope. I think football's the one sport that you can – you got to work your – it's a year-round sport now for a kid that wants to succeed. But you don't have to go to camps, I think, if you're a big-time star football player. But I think if you play basketball and baseball, you have to go to those things, especially the basketball kids that go to AAU. That's got to be the most expensive parenting that you can do is have a kid play AAU basketball. I would agree completely. And those kids go all over the country. You see those California kids going down to play those kids in Florida. I mean, it's that's a long travel. I mean, I, I never did that. And I couldn't imagine traveling across the country to play a couple of basketball games or a weekend tournament and then coming back home and decide, no, well, it's it's November. There's a good migration coming. Do I want to go shoot some birds or go practice my jump shot? AAU basketball is about like politics. It's a bunch of money thrown down the drain and a couple of crooks are making a lot of money off of it. Yeah, we saw some of those federal investigations come out, and you see the money that rolls around, so I would agree. Yeah, who would have ever thought you could make that kind of money selling tennis shoes? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. So what's what's a, what in the life, the, the Army Corps of Engineers, they do projects all over, I, I'm assuming all over the world, not just the United States. Is that correct? correct. Yes. And um, a lot of that is done by Texas Aggies, correct? <laughs> Uh, I don't. We don't run it because it's in the continental United States. It's it's sectioned off by watersheds. So while we work alongside the Texas districts down there, we don't. There isn't a lot of Aggies because up here is it's pretty much geographically based. So a lot of the folks here are from the area in my in my watershed. Okay, and that's how it does. I just know in Texas that that Texas A and M produces a, some of the greatest engineers in the world, and I know most all the projects around here have got one of them that's running it. But how how does it go if um, so y'all want to go in and fix something on the Mississippi River. How, how does that all work out? Uh, just generally speaking, usually it starts with legislation. It's got to come out of Congress to fund the whole the whole project. Uh, they have the big bills that come out every year, and that's usually how it starts. But you need some interest to go push push your politicians to get that stuff in the language put right. And also there's continual ones every year, like this infrastructure bill you see on the news all the time. That'll that'll be a big one. People are following to see what happens. So, um, and this isn't live. So if we bring up something that we don't need to ask about, just say something, and we can we'll we'll edit this part out real quick, just so you'll know. So if I bring up yeah. something, I'm not trying to be a smart ass. I just some things <laughs> interest me. the the bureau of The bureau of land management. Do you deal with them? I I haven't too much yet, just because of my geographic area. But there will be times when I. We'll likely deal with them. There's just not a lot of that stuff in my geographic area. But there will be times when I work on projects with other districts that I will deal with them. I deal with more, in my geographic area, it's more U.S. fish and wildlife that comes in. And then because we're in these great plain states, the BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs, comes in too. See, we don't have any of that in Texas. But we've, we've had some, a lot of issues with the Bureau of Land Management around the Red River on them trying to take back some land. And I think in court they lost that case. Hmm. And hmm. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't tracking that. I, I can't look at all of them. But I, I know the Bureau of Land Management is – there's definitely a target on them from some interest groups. 
And I mean, they just have control of so much land that that's bound to happen. So how, with you being an attorney, what is, what is your role with uh, the Army Corps of Engineers? Is it just to make sure that the language is correct on a project that you guys are pursuing? Um, I would say it's, that, that is a, a, a part of it, but a lot of it is just getting it all done right, I guess to put it simply. Make sure everything's done correctly in accordance with the letter of the law and check, make, check all the boxes as we go through the projects. The, these projects are multi-year, multi-phase projects that require a lot of time, money, and effort, and smart people. And you always kind of need to come check with the attorneys on it to make sure, hey, if I'm doing this right, tell me I am. If I'm doing it wrong, tell me I'm doing it wrong, and how do I get the right way? Because, again, it starts with the legislation, and not everyone knows how to read federal legislation really well. And then you just go down through the regulations that we have to follow, the policy and guidance, if there's executive orders on it, and be able to balance the interests at play. I mean, a big thing is a lot of telecommunication projects now are have issues with foreign governments and stuff, and you got to be on the pulse of all that because there could there could be issues there. Do you see a, car- a career in politics maybe down the line for you, possibly as like a congressman or anything like that? Not particularly. I, I did a lot of the political stuff when I was in my former role in Chicago, and I kind of like being on the periphery and just guiding instead of actually being the figurehead itself. And you seem to have way too much common sense to be a politician. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, you're you're a guy that hunts, and you know, you you have a lot of the similar interests as you know the 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 person that I don't feel is you know represented as much. And I think a, I think a guy like you could go up there and we need people like you and you know do a there. lot of things. You're a smart guy, and you know you got a level head on your shoulder, and I think I think somebody like you could really make a difference. Well, thank you. That's that's an incredible compliment. I I appreciate that. I I think it's just. Kind of you, you guys are, you and I are the same. We're from similar areas, probably similar backgrounds. We're just level-headed people that understand that pragmatism and rational thought takes over for all these crazy things wherever you're at. Just be cool, be nice to people, and they will be nice to you. And one thing I always learned, especially coming out of law school, is you never know where someone's going to be in a couple of years. So that is true. You're mean to someone now. Well, guess what? They're the <laughs> They could be the top of a general council in a couple of years, and you're saying, oh, man, what do I do now? This person does not like me. Or if we're in court and I need a deadline extended, and that person's like, I don't like you, and you're in trouble because i got to go back to my clients and say, hey, I'm not going to get this 30-day extension. We're going to be in a very bad position, and it's because I was mean to someone before. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was your role in Chicago? So I did a lot of real estate there as well, but we worked with a lot of local governments, counties in the state of Illinois and anyone anything from elections to real estate development to tax financing to even handling meetings so we had some school districts that we worked on so I'd sit on sit in on those meetings and be the attorney for them so that's I was cool it was nice to hear that you are on their local school district so those have a lot of power in Illinois I don't know how much how much they are here probably probably not too much if they're if they're just putting me but what's bad is <clears throat> nobody runs Nobody. Like, I was appointed. We had an election. We were going to have an election uh, a couple weeks ago. Nobody put their name in the hat. But they complain about, you know, the job that we do. It's like, put your name in the hat. Go. Let's go to the election. And then maybe you'll be up there. Maybe you can make some differences. 5% of the people in the world do something. 95% of the people complain. 
Right. And I think that's that way just about everywhere. You get the, the you know, the ninety five percent they don't they're not they don't want to be on a board and do anything and have to be responsible, but they want to bitch about everything the five percent do. I think that's yeah. common from from mom, room moms. You yeah, that's the same thing happens in elementary schools. You've got the mom that goes to all the parties that cooks, bakes, does everything, and then the parents who don't do it bitch because their kids didn't get the right. They had a raisin in their cookie or something. And just, I think it's that way everywhere nowadays. What I, we had, a, we talked, we had a little debate yesterday. We had a lot of debates yesterday on the ride home, but we talked about <laughs> one of the things we talked about was teaching gun safety and gun use in schools. Andy doesn't think that's a role of a teacher. He thinks that's a role. Am I speaking out of turn here? You're right. I think that it would be nice for, especially for, now our small town schools are different than big town schools because most of the kids take an ag class anyways. I think it would be great to teach gun safety in all schools. And I'm talking high school, not or junior high or high school, not elementary kids. My thinking on the issue is, is school should be a place of learning of something that you can't get at home. Are you going to teach these kids how to swim also? Because there's a good chance they're going to run into a body of water and need to learn how to swim. So, I don't know. You're a smart guy. What's your thoughts on this? (laughs) I I think perhaps in your geographic area, that may be a little more acceptable. But if we scale up and think about a school district that has 100,000 kids in it, and you try to have a uniform approach to gun introduction, and then we think about where those schools are at mm-hmm. it people might already have an introduction to guns it's very different than what you're trying to teach and then you got to reteach that thing and to bring a gun into schools with cities that have high gun violence rates just regardless of anything that happens in chicago i could only imagine the uproar that that would cause if they started teaching gun safety to high school kids in chicago and you can read the news the kids that are having all those gun violence are younger than they're 13, 14, 15. I, I couldn't envision that happening in those schools. Right. A highly, Jeff, a highly, what do you think about that answer? Um, I think it's a very good answer. It's got a lot of common sense to it, but we have to start somewhere. I, I agree completely. You have to start somewhere, but the problem is the, the situations where we're trying to start those have so many variables that have already been instilled in those areas, cultures, geographic locations that – to you and I, if someone brought in a shotgun and we were 16 years old and told us how to use it, one, you probably already know what it is. And then two, if they don't, well, you're in a constructive environment to figure that out. If I go into a city like Chicago or South L.A. and tell them what a shotgun is, one, I mean, it's, it's, it's there's there's a whole host of issues, again, to deal with there that I think where we're at is, is just it's just different. And I could see a lot more issues and a lot more benefits. I do, too. And, and that's what. It's hard to out here because we're so sheltered and naive about a lot of things that go on in the big city. Obviously, you lived in the big city for a long time when you were in Chicago, but, you know, it it just we're in a microcosm of things where. Sheltered was the good word. We are sheltered is a good word. But most people out, nobody, there's nobody in our area that is just out to do harm. Where in a mm-hmm. lot of places like like Chicago or South LA or any urban area, there's people that would use that information for bad. Yeah, and you can we can read anything: the Times, the Journal, the Post, whatever. You you see crime is going up all across the country right now, and it happens to be the violent crime. So you think, is that a good idea to bring those guns in there? Or? Right. 
So, Jeff, my, my question to you about this issue is, is what are you wanting to address by adopting a gun safety introduction I guess, to 16-year-olds? Like, what is the benefit here? That's a really good question. I think that what I would like to teach is to teach them to respect a gun, and it's not I, – I had, I've had two instances in my life that have, that have, I guess, not educated. Just let me see – a different side and one of them was in kansas city missouri at a starbucks over by rogers you know what i'm talking about yeah up north yeah yeah and there's a starbucks right there and we stopped in there and got a starbucks and at that time there had been an incident that happened somewhere in the country at a starbucks and a police officer was in there and they and the police officer intervened and starbucks was appreciative so it's damn sure it wasn't recently because they want to ostracize the police officer and mm-hmm. I made a comment to that girl. I said, yeah, I like coming here. And I said, I also like it that y'all support the police and guns. And I said, since I have a gun, I appreciate that. Oh, my God, do you have a gun? I mean, she like really got scared. And I was like, you know, I didn't know what to say. And I thought, damn, these people are, are she is scared of a gun. Like, it's just going to blow up and start shooting everybody by itself. And, I, <laughs> I, and I, I, it just, it was, it dawned on me how different. Because at home, everybody has a gun. Right. I mean, I'm going to tell you, nine out of ten trucks that drive by my house, and first trucks, everybody has a truck here just about. There's a gun. Nine of them ten trucks have a gun. The other day, I was out by, I was cleaning the pool, and I heard a machine gun, or not a machine gun go off. I heard a a, a semi-automatic gun. I don't know the weapon. proper, a weapon. Yeah. I don't know. Semi-automatic, yeah. What they like to refer to as an assault weapon, an AR-15. Someone was shooting it, and they shot off about 100 rounds. And I thought, I chuckled to myself, and I thought, you know what? If I was in any big city in America, people would be scared to death right now. I didn't think nothing of it. It's just... So you think that by introducing this, would, that more people would no, be... No, back to that question. I think if they introduced guns in school, that maybe you could pull a few kids over and teach them some respect to guns. But, but you know... You you said the thing a minute ago that really made the most sense. Those kids today are being indoctrinated at 10, 11, 12 years old. And most of them, it's gang. I'm, I haven't been in Chicago much, but it's gang violence. And they've got Everyone this, will tell you that. There. Yeah. And it usually happens in select areas. Everyone yep. everyone knows it. So, yeah. They don't have a lot of dads there. And these kids take to these gang members as a family. And they get indoctrinated to go shoot up the place because that's what they're, they're, the people they look up to is. So maybe it's really in that idea, it's not bad. I'm thinking like any city in America, you go to Los Angeles and you could go to Compton area and it would not probably work. But if you went to an area that's in the suburbs outside of Sacramento, you could probably bring guns in because those kids do hunting around guns and it's not, they don't think it's bad. I'm sure every big city and across the country and every state has got the same problems. Some group of kids it's not wouldn't be good for. Other groups of kids it would be a great thing for. I will say, though, I, the idea that you make, I, w- I think that if you could introduce kids uniformly at an earlier age in life, 10, 11, 12, when you, we take 13, when you take gun safety, and that's your first introduction into guns is under a gun safety program, me being optimistic, I think you could start to change the way – younger kids, teenagers approach guns. If you could give, here's your first look. Guns are important. They have a lot of power. Here's the safety tips. And you're 12 years old. And that's your first introduction into guns. But if you have a kid who has introduction to guns and a, let's say a bad environment at 10, 11, 12, and then you come at 16 and say, here's what guns are. The kid's going to be like, what? No, that's not how it works. Right. And I think, 
I'm going to sound old here, but I think a lot of video games, you know, a lot of 10, 11, 12-year-old kids are playing this, you know, Call of Duty, and that's what a gun is. It's a bang, 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 bang type deal. And The reality is they don't understand when you shoot someone on a TV game in real life when you shoot someone, they're dead. Well, it's not just that. It's just, I mean, it's just doing that on a video game has no consequences. You know, poor gun safety on a video game, the, the consequences aren't high. You just regenerate and away you go. So, I don't know. We're, we're in such a weird times with, with all this stuff. Kids are also introduced to so much stuff. Like, Douglas, you, you grew up in Nebraska. When you were 10 years old, how many kids did you friends with that had been shot by someone or their dad had been shot or their cousin had been shot and killed by a gun? I grew up in a town of 100,000. I didn't know nobody. I'd say zero. Yeah, same way. I didn't know about it at but, all. But if you go to these bad neighborhoods all across the country, how many of those kids have had that's they've seen that? And, and then you look at the scenario and think, to you and I, that is not normal. Mm-hmm. But to the child in that environment, that is normal. To yes. us, it's irrational to think about that. To them, that's part of their life. That's how they grew up. So it's it's tough to wait our lifestyles theirs because foundations of who they are are so different than what we have what do they say product of your environment yes it's just different but this is the kind of conversations that we had driving back from squad fest and driving to squad fest the whole time and i was right on both instances i don't know about all of that that. but but they're good because it's you guys are trying to solve problems and i think that's important to realize here's a world we live in and we see these issues fundamental flaws how do we approach fixing them? And I like that the conversation starts it. It's good. We, we, I just want to get – one of the things that touched me this weekend was there was a, a little boy that was – was he 8 or 10 years old at our hotel that had the goose call? I think ten. he was 10. And he was blowing a goose call, and his dad was just getting into waterfowl hunting, and he took him down to St. Louis to go to this thing. Well, he, walk, he was walking through our lobby of the hotel, and there was a bunch of baseball kids there. I thought the dad was a baseball dad at first, didn't you, Andy? Yeah, well, he, I was drunk that night. So okay, I didn't and he was really realize, drunk that night. I didn't even night. realize the guy walked up. The guy walked up, and he's like, hey, Andy, are you going to sign my titties? That's how I started this conversation. And I was like – And like, I didn't – when I saw his beard, I didn't realize how drunk I was. I was like, oh, my goodness, is this a lady? What do we got going on here? <laughs> but anyways, I thought he was one of the baseball dads. Well, he was there with his son to go to Squad Fest, and, and I didn't know that. And he'd recognized us. He'd come over and start talking. He just started listening to the podcast a little bit. And talked to me, but one of the things that touched me was his son bought a goose call with his own money and was over there practicing from a different company. Well, the Pacific guys, who are sponsors of podcasts and great friends of ours, they saw him over there. And one of the guys walked over there and started showing him how to blow a call and gave him a Pacific game call. And I thought, you know, that's what we need. We need more kids getting introduced and involved in this thing. And I just think if we could take a lot of these troubled kids and could get them away from that environment and teach them about the outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting, camping, I think they'd be so much better off. I agree completely. I will say that logistically that sounds like a difficult situation. And we'll just use Chicago, for example. If those kids are on the north, west, or south side, to get someone out to a place where they can experience that, it's tough. I mean, I lived there for eight years and I hunted with that last dog for three years and to get to a duck blind even in the suburbs of Chicago would take me about an hour an hour and a half and it's just it's tough but I agree completely because I'm sure that moment will live with that child for the rest 
of his life. Mm-hmm. When you guys came over and the Pacific Call guys came over and showed him, here's how you blow a cluck. And that kid might be changed forever. And you have a lot of guests on here who had fathers that did all hunting or family members. And that's how you start it. I, I agree completely, Jeff. That moment right there might start that child's life to always love goose hunting or calling or the outdoors or something. And that's that's special that you got to see that. And you have to talk about his father. That's why I got turned on to you because I was so happy to hear you guys talk with your father, Jeff, and you and Andy talk. And it's it's important to have that father figure in your life and those relationships you have, that bond you have with them is so special to see. And that's what keeps this culture moving forward with our love for the outdoors and hunting waterfowl or upland is being able to load up with my dad or my brothers and my uncles or formerly grandparents and go out and hunt. And it's not always about bringing back birds. It's about memories and the story that's told with that and what that teaches me foundationally and how I represent myself to the world. Well, we, we, yeah. we, you were, you were very blessed like we were, and we need more of that in our lives. And we, and we, and a lot of these kids need that and we need to replace a bunch of, we need to replace the bad stuff with some of this good stuff. Well, but, it just, it doesn't take much. I mean, just a little bit of just a friendly nudge every once in a while. And just so many kids out there just don't, they don't have any sort of positive reinforcement. They don't have any mentor. That's, you know, another saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. They got a bunch of friends that are going nowhere and that's where they end up. And it just, there's no, there's no good push in the right direction. And that's what's so good about hunting is, um, and starting this podcast is you realize just how small of a community, uh, hunting is and you know, how, you know, I mean, there's shitheads out in the hunting community, but I mean, for the most part, it's just positive people that enjoy being outside and COVID squad fest was neat because it's the first big thing since COVID and just, there was no drama. I've been to hunting shows where it's pissing match from the time the Mm. doors open. And I mean, everybody was just so appreciative to just be outside, be around hunters, talk to, you know, talk without masks. And I mean, it was just, it was a special place, but I mean, just so many kids, they don't need much encouragement, but they need just a, a friendly nudge in the right direction. And it seems like a simple problem or a simple solution, but it's just logistically, I don't, I don't. I just can't see it happening in some of these urban areas, and it's sad. But maybe now is the time. The world experienced the pandemic in many different ways, and you saw the outpouring of support you went at that last event. I mean, I was looking at my Instagram every five minutes to see what everyone (laughs) was doing. I wish I would have been there. But uh, maybe now is the time to really start implementing some of those conversations that you guys have. And your podcast has an extensive reach. So while the community is small, your reach is large mm-hmm. and you can reach a lot of people instantly. And I think that's that's a good way to start moving forward, if you will. My biggest advice I try to give people all the time or I give advice all the time and most of it's probably not very good. But try to get your kids out of the big urban areas and move in the country somewhere. If you even got to take a little bit of a pay cut, it's cheaper to live in the urban area. I mean, out in the country. Move your kids somewhere to a smaller town. Um, and, and our small town is different because our little town, embrace, it's not a real cliquish community, and they embrace it. don't matter who you are. If you move to Knox City, you're going to have some group of people that's going to accept you, and you're going to be accepted anyways. Go to a small town like that. Your kids will get more active in schools. They will be uh, – and they will – it's just so much a bit different environment than the big cities are. 
You know, and we have bad things happen in small towns, but every small town in America is the same basic town. And everybody's pretty much like, you know, everybody wants law and order. We just want to succeed. We want to see a, a safe place for our children to be raised and have opportunities. And I think it's everywhere in all 50 states is exactly the same when you get out of the big cities. But I know a lot of people can't make a living in the in, outside, but you got to try to figure a way out for your kids. And I will say there are some advantages to living in those dense city areas. If you think about some of the prestigious institutions, Chicago, for example, you have the University of Chicago, Northwestern's in the area. There's just great DePaul. There's great schools right there. And some of the nicer high schools are right there. The Latin School, Francis Parker. And you can, while there is so many benefits to living in a smaller community like you and I grew up in, I can see educational and experience-wise why some people enjoy the bigger city too because you come across so many different people right. and so many different cultures and so many different things. I remember when I went there, I was like, oh, there's all these types of foods that I've never tried in my <laughs> life before. <Yeah. laughs> what is Thai food? Huh? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's different, huh? They don't have that in Nebraska really well, so. <laughs> so, so why did you leave Chicago? Were you trying to get out or you just took a job to where you could, you could move? Yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted a career change and this is where I wanted to be, and it's been a great opportunity. Chicago was for law school and career, and it's kind of a place to sharpen my sword. And it was a it was a great experience. I had a lot of fun times, but I just knew long term it wasn't going to be my home. Because <laughs> Jeff, you mentioned earlier, I didn't want to raise a family there. So right. no. it's just it's just not comfortable. And I'll tell you, my father doesn't like. He doesn't even like Omaha. He won't drive through Omaha. He just doesn't like. I remember when I graduated law school. My mom and dad drove up because my mom doesn't fly, so they drive everywhere. <laughs> and they've been married for ooh, 30, 40 years. And they almost, they almost, they're talking about divorce driving in Chicago because my dad <laughs> just cannot handle that people bunched up that fast. I'm like, there's Chipotle's everywhere. We don't like this. Oh, let's go home. <laughs> and if I have kids one day, I want them to be able to be close to my parents too. So Chicago's a weird town. So I, I went to Chicago, I went to Elgin. Yeah, this this rephrase. Oh yeah, I went to Western El suburb. Yeah. yeah, but we drove into Chicago one day, and it was just bumper to bumper the entire <laughs> yeah. way. How far is Elgin outside of Chicago? 30, 40 miles. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, something like that. I've I've driven out to Wheaton and over there before too. Yeah, it took us forever. I didn't yeah. think we were ever. I got a sunburn because we had the top down. I got a sunburn sitting in traffic. Yeah, like my goodness, <laughs> and but that's what you know. It's, it's just traffic every single day out there. Um, so and, on, and for no reason at all, you're driving maybe to O'Hare mm -hmm. at one o'clock on a Tuesday. You're like, why is it bumper to bumper? Yeah. Is no one working right now? What is going on? What are we doing here? <laughs> so in your experience, is it Giordano's or uh, Luminati's? I like Luminati's better than Giordano's, but I'm more into the coal fire pizza. So we had it's, some, that, it's a thin crust. But we, go ahead. They had pizza at the hunting show. Mm -hmm. Or at the at Squad Fest, I should say. They had a brick oven pizza that was in a uh, uh, a food truck. Mm -hmm. And that was mm. good pizza. It was, from it, what I remember. From what you remember. It was really good pizza. But it was a coal fire. I like those, too. I'm just saying. They're, I, they're a little, I think they taste a little better. The ingredients seem to be a little bit better. And there was a restaurant in Chicago called, I think it was Pizzeria Baby, which had a Michelin star, which is one of those top restaurants yeah. in the world. Right. It was a pizza place. Whoa, whoa, whoa. These people really care about this craft here. 
What's uh? There's something else in Chicago. It's like an upside down pizza or something like that, or it's got like a maybe pot belly. I think it's just deep dish. No, 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 no. It comes out something weird. I'll look it up. But I wanted to try it. I would much rather have East Coast pizza than I would the deep dish Chicago stuff. Yeah, it's good for every now and then, but it's just so heavy. I mean, you take a slice and it's eighteen hundred calories in a slice, and you got to go lay down. It's just <laughs> it's heavy because it has all that cheese and bread and sauce and ooh, yeah, it's. It's good, but it's just way too heavy. What, what's the best barbecue joint in um, Kansas City? <laughs> oh, man, you can't ask me that question. Uh, I, I'll say <laughs> I haven't been here long enough, but I like Oklahoma Joe's because it's pretty close to me. But it, that's like one of those staple ones. There's some other good ones that I haven't really tried just because of the COVID and everything. But Oklahoma Joe's is my go-to when someone wants to go. And I think it's a good step in the door for barbecue. I've heard, what, what, I've heard a lot of people say that. See? I, I have a hard time. I've had barbecue everywhere, which really good barbecue. I can't – I've never really had bad barbecue anyways. At all. But the best barbecue I had is not much different than the worst I've ever had. I mm-hmm. like the burn-ins at Arthur Bryant's probably better than any burn-ins I've ever okay. had. I didn't like it. And they have Wonder Bread, and I like Wonder Bread. But I don't – Oklahoma Joe's, I hear so many people say that's the best barbecue in Kansas City. And yeah, boy, the E-Man sandwich with the brisket and the onion ring on it with the sauce and everything and that those buns that you – I mean, they even have good fries. I remember as a kid, we'd come up here for Chiefs games or when we go to Lawrence to watch basketball games, and my little brother would always just order a big thing of fries. He just loves their fries there. So how is it your big, – you're big in pheasants forever. How is the How are the pheasant numbers doing? Are they maintaining? Are they dropping off? What are we seeing? It seems like they're kind of having a little bit of a comeback. After last year, the, the sport seemed to be really explode after the COVID stuff. But I, I think with Pheasants Forever and other similar organizations, conservation has been a big priority. And with Ducks Unlimited, too, to really – and that's it's a simple answer. How do you get better pheasant populations? More habitat. Right. And that's been a big push. And you see their call, the Uplands initiative, which is, I think, $500 million initiative. It's, it's huge. And that will put so many more acres – of land that has suitable habitat that's better for the environment that will increase these pheasant populations. So I think they're on the rise. I'm optimistic, but some areas it's not as good. Parts of Kansas aren't as good as they used to be. Now, what's what's leading to that? Is it more agriculture springing up? Is it urbanization? I think agriculture is a big part of it because of what it does to those habitats. No-till farming, mm-hmm. all the pesticides, farming corner to corner. I did. I have seen more as I travel around. I hunt September to March every year. Yeah. And I see those farmers, especially in Kansas, more is they cut those. They they do those circle farming mm-hmm. where the edges have nice cover for those pheasants. But I think the no-till and all the pesticides and just if you're farming a whole eighty instead of letting anything be set aside and with the CRP being so so much less than what the bushel is this year, if you look at those. What's the incentive for the farmer to maintain all that set aside stuff? If I can go, what are I mean? What are bushels at seven, seven and something now? I mean, they're pretty high, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just it's such a tricky ecosystem, and you know we mm-hmm. do we do release pheasant hunts here, and there's always some at the end of the year that make it, and but you never see them, and I mean it's good it's good grass out there, but they just never seem to make it here in Texas, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it gets too hot for them. I don't know if we have too many predators running around. I think we got a lot of fat predators. And but that- we've been doing this for 20 years, 
and there is no carryover from year to year. What kind of cover do you guys have out there? What we, do you plant? The same thing you'd find in western Nebraska. There's there's everything here. Here we got corn here now. We got milo here. We've got CRP grass here. The, there's wheat planted out there. Yeah. The the, the problem hmm. that we have, and, and my dad used to always tell me this. It was because we have too many chiggers, and that's why we hmm. don't have. That's why we don't have. A hatch. Nest. One time I've seen a hen here with some babies, and she was dead. There was two little ones next to her dead. And that's right. the only time I've ever seen a baby pheasant here, ever. Hmm. Hmm. That, yeah, that's probably it. And I, we're, I, don't, I don't really know. Do you have prairie chickens down there? No, nope. we don't. And this Quail? Yeah, we have yeah. quail. And now quail is, so, it's, it's quail is such a weird bird because I've seen us quail numbers be down to nothing and then have a wet sp- a real wet summer and spring without, without big thunderstorms. And your quail population will bounce back to record highs again, and then, mm-hmm. and I've seen us have record quail numbers here in September, and then get an early freeze in October or something, and boom, quail are all dead. And you don't see them ever again. They're so finicky. Yeah, and pheasant numbers. I mean, do you guys have a lot of turkeys? Because I know in parts of Nebraska where those turkey populations boom, pheasants go down because those turkeys eat those pheasants at pheasant eggs. So really, I never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard that either. Our our turkey numbers are I think they're probably down overall, but we still got a healthy healthy turkey population. I know southwest Oklahoma has just taken it on the chin with their turkey numbers. It's it's mm. it's ridiculous. They say uh what is it? Eye worms, I think, or maybe yes, eye worms. I, I, I don't know what an eye, I don't know what an eye worm is, but it doesn't sound very doesn't sound I don't want to see it. No, yeah. no, 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 me neither. But <laughs> it's just pheasants don't make it here for for whatever reason. Um but that's good to hear that, you know, um, organizations like Pheasants Forever are kind of looking for the next generation of, of pheasant hunters and trying to make sure that there's land for healthy pheasants every year. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big thing for me, too, because I'm 31. I'm old enough to appreciate growing up in it, but I'm also old enough to realize that I got to do something to help the people behind me so they can have those same memories and joys and whether it's going out with their dad or anyone else or having a nice bird dog. I just, I really want other people to have that gift too. Cause I've been blessed to have it three times over with three different dogs. I think the corporate farming is really hurting the numbers on the pheasants and, and, and a lot of wildlife, mm-hmm. but you know, back, even when I first got into the waterfowl hunting business, which was almost 30 years ago, we would have 20, 25, 30 different guys farm peanuts down here where we are. You know, one guy might just have 60, one 60-acre spot, but he had 60 acres of peanuts. Nowadays, hmm. we're down to four or five guys that farm peanuts. Well, and machinery's getting so good now. Like, it's so much easier to just plant corner to corner of a field, whereas 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it took a lot of manpower to get in what you were going to get in. And now it's just, with the equipment the way it is, it's just, it's all, and irrigation, you know, it's almost easier to just plant corner to corner rather than leave, you know, the corners for, for wildlife. I, corporate, I, you know, it's just like anything. People got to make money, and I don't know. It's hard to tell somebody. It's hard to tell a farmer, hey, won't you leave a little bit for those birds when they're like, who gives a, who gives a shit? Like, that's that's dollar signs to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're, it's, it's a weird, it's, like I said, everything's such a weird time, and Hunting always seems to take a backseat in everything that is going on right now. So I will say that I I had no idea the amount of waterfowl that you guys get in your area. Yep. I was following you on Instagram and Cadillac Creek Outfitters, and I was looking at the videos and thinking, 
there's no way there's that many <laughs> geese down there in September, October. They haven't they haven't gone through Nebraska, but you guys, what? What is going? Explain that to me because I had no idea. So I think uh, I think what that is is we get a lot of speckle bellies here early, and I think they skip Nebraska. I think they go from they go from Canada they go from to here, Canada to here, in a night or two, and they just. Yeah, I never had good luck with specks in Nebraska. That's for sure. Yeah, I think they just skip over you guys. I think they skip over Can- uh, Nebraska, Kansas. Now Kansas is starting to see more and more uh, speckle bellies, but. I think those early specs they just they just skip you guys for whatever reason. Mm. They're, they're calendar birds, and I'm telling you right now, on October fifteenth, we will have twenty five to fifty thousand speckle bellies here, regardless wow. of the weather. Yeah, it just they're here every year at the same time. We'll start seeing specs. We always have a bet every year during till season. If we're going to have a first front, I'll be like, we'll see some specs this weekend. Oh, it's September eighth or tenth or fifteenth, <laughs> and as soon as we get a cold front, there'll be a speck or two here. And, you, and you'll see them. There might be 8 or 12 the first time, but they just start falling in. And usually by mid-October, we've got, like I said, huntable numbers to hunt. And our stupid state don't let us hunt until the middle of November now. Hmm. But we used to open up the last weekend in October, first weekend of September, somewhere around that time. And you could we had huntable numbers to shoot birds. And the, I can tell you this, the, the, this last year with Canada closing, the birds we had are not closing, no Americans hunting up there. The, the specks we had early, none of them had been shot at or anything. Yeah. Usually you can see their wings and shit have been shot up and they hadn't been hammered at all. So they're, going, they're coming from somewhere in the prairies of Canada to Knox City in Haskell County, Texas overnight. Now, it's a long ways to fly, but yeah. Now are you getting you're getting mostly the big geese, aren't you? The big geese and the ducks in your area? On the east side, yeah. And then the to me at Nebraska is the east side, the central side, and the west side. What's what's your buddy? Blake. Blake. Yeah, Grant. he's from that west side. Yeah, yeah, that's it's different, but yeah, you get the big buddies, the lessers, lots of ducks, um the closer you get to the river. So yeah. Uh, we get snows here too a lot because they come to me, it's something that they come up the I'd say I-35. So when I do the snow goose hunting, I start down in Mound City and then work my way back home. I haven't done the Arkansas stuff yet. I plan to do it, but when the dog left me, I, I didn't do it this year. But What kind of dog did you have? Black Lab. I always run a Black Lab. Black Lab female. Black, why female? Uh, I think they come on a little faster. Yeah. And then you don't have to worry about fixing them. Or once you, we don't have to worry about their other drives in their life. I fix them right about six, eight months, and I go from there, and that's the dog that I enjoy. That's just, I think it, I love all bird dogs, gun dogs, everything, but I just know I work the best with black lab females, and some of those big males are beautiful monsters, but yeah, I I'd just rather have a female. Yeah, Lou, I got, a, I got one of those uh, monsters, and there are some days you're just like, I will wring your neck. Um, have you tried any other colors? Have you tried a yellow or a chocolate have, and just not had any success? Or why why have we why have we settled on the black female? Just my flavor. It's just I that was my first one. Right. My older brothers had black lab females, and that's just that's just what I like. Yeah. I didn't know if you if you like tried like a chocolate male and just didn't have any any success with it or or if, if that's what it was. But I you know, it's the same thing with me. Like part of me wants to when Lou passes on maybe try another, you know, a yellow or a chocolate or something. Mm-hmm. But then part of me is like, I'm, I'll probably, I, knowing me, I hate going outside the box. I'll probably yeah. just get another black male, and that'll just be, that'll probably be my dog until I die. Now, where'd you get Lou out of? Ron. Yeah. Ron, what, does he was, have, what does he have back in there? Does he have some heat in that bloodline? or? 
Yeah, he had uh, so Rippin' Blue Thunder was uh, was he's a, he was a trial dog in the '80s and uh, mm-hmm. comes from him. And um, so one of Ron, one of Ron's pheasants dogs and a female, they that they were who Ron was getting puppies out of. And uh, it was my first year back. My wife and I. Had, this was my first full year here after college, and um, didn't have a dog. Been looking for a dog. We didn't have any kids at that time. And uh, he said, "Hey." It was it was in December sometime. He said, "Hey, I got just had a a litter of six, and there's uh, three or four males. You 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 come out and you you take your pick, and uh, pick Lou. And he was my he was my first one. Ron and I trained him from start to finish, and uh, it was that's what's going to be hard about losing Lou is when mm-hmm. just all the memories that you know I made with Ron and you know." We bought our first house with Lou. We brought our first kid home, and Lou greeted us at the door. So the, it's going to be a, an end of, a, you know, start basically starting out my life with my wife now and having kids, and Lou's always going to be that dog that I started it with. So we had Ira McCauley on, and I was talking to him about it, and he was like, yeah, you know, but your next dog will be the next chapter of your life, and, you know, the, the next dog will be – when your kids were growing up or whatever. So each dog will have a, have a special time stamp in your, in your life. So how old? Yeah, they're, they're special. How old is your dog? This dog right now is 18 weeks going on 19 weeks. I lost the last one. She was three and a half. So she, with your Lou dog, you know, three and a half, four, they are just hitting their prime. And I, I lost her suddenly. That was pretty, that was pretty tough on me, but I, I understand you're getting ready for the end, but you got some good years with your dog left still. So, yeah, he's eight. He'll be nine this year. So, I've hunted him hard. It's you know it's seven days a yeah. week, and he's he's such a big dog. I worry about his joints. I've got him on uh, arthritis medicine medicine now, not during the summer, but whenever we start going full tilt, I put him on some some joint relief, and I want to take care of him. If I can get two more years out of him, full two full years out of him, I'll be really happy. But. So you got an eighteen week old dog, nineteen weeks. Woof, that's that that's that puppy stage. Wow. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh-huh. fun. That's that's the Peasants Forever series as we're walking through this whole process of training a bird dog in the city. The last dog I did, she was in Chicago. We lived in the Gold Coast, right, right in the heart of the city. And I made her into a pretty good dog, I think. So what did you do? So- Just take her to a park? How did you do this? We were, we lived in a high-rise luxury apartment, <laughs> 23rd floor, had a great view. <laughs> right across the street was an empty Chicago Housing Authority a lot where we did a lot of our training. And then as she got bigger, we'd go to a pro. or And as she got stronger, we went to pheasant farms and stuff. And that's what we did. You and know, then, go ahead. I was just thinking, if I was driving through Chicago and I saw a guy throwing bumpers to a dog in the park, I'd say, that <laughs> is a dedicated man right there. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I made one of my really good friends that way. I was, I, I think it, it might have been raining or something. It was every morning I'd go out there and line the dog up. We'd run our marks. We had a whole city block, so I could get, it, I could get some pretty good marks out there. And I'd do it all the time. And then one day this guy came down and said, hey, what are you, what are you doing all the time out there with the dog in the field? It's always sitting there so nice. And, oh, we're training for a hunting season. I said, oh, I do a lot of hunting. I said, oh, it's cool. And he said, I do, I do a lot of deer hunting, but I'm looking at getting a vishala. I said, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you'll have to come train with us in a while. Then he invited me up to his spot, and he happened to live on a floor above me, and he had an amazing collection of bourbon. That dude spoiled me <laughs> with bourbon. I can't buy bourbon anywhere else because I had my palate was spoiled with him. But he got his dog, 
he got his Vishla, got it trained, and for two years we called it Thunder and Lightning Hunt, a Thunder and Lightning Hunt, because he'd bring his Vishla, I had my lab, we'd go out and hunt, and that dog pointed, my dog flushed and retrieved, and it was awesome. He's one of my best friends, all because he saw me training in the field, so that's exactly it. Out in the rain, and it, it gets butt cold in Chicago, oh. so I don't know oh how you God. did that. <laughs> There's nothing worse than sitting out in the cold while your dog is dicking around I, I, every time we go me and michelle are in a big city and i see people walking we was in boston last fall and i'd seen people everywhere walking their dogs and stuff and carrying their little bag to pick it up and stuff and i thought you really must love dogs to do this you have to yeah and there's things there's intricacies you have to figure out my dogs always heal on the right side because the left side they're just people coming walking on the sidewalk right and when it gets cold like that it's i pick that dog up and put it and drop it in a field because there's all that ice and salt everywhere that can tear apart their feet. So there's things you got to learn when you're doing that. I didn't think about that. So no. what would you, how did you potty train this dog being on the 23rd floor? Oh, my parents took her the first month and mm-hmm. kind of worked her through it. And then I got her at four months and I did it. But for the first couple of weeks, we had these things, what are they called? Fresh pads. Yeah. It's like a little square of grass. And I had a balcony in my apartment. Oh, it was fancy, but I had a balcony there. Well, you know, you're a young attorney. You got to spend the money, yeah, right? Yeah, I got to spend the money. <laughs> <laughs> so we do that a little bit, but eventually she deci- she started deciding, I don't like this little square because I want to go run. Right. So we would just get on the elevator, go the 23 floors down and go outside. And it was tough because... You wake up at four in the morning and do that. It's oh. it's a process. Get your shoes on, get your clothes on, go down twenty three floors, take the dog out at four in the morning. It's thirty minutes, and you're thinking, man, I gotta wake up in two hours, go to work. You know, well, uh, and that poor dog, like you're just like, please just hold on, we're almost there. Please don't yeah. have anybody stop this freaking elevator. We're so close. Oh, yeah, your mom and dad deserve an award because as a parent, I'm telling you right now. We, my wife would volunteer that. I probably would try to get out of that, but that's the worst time is that first month of taking a puppy home. Gosh almighty. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that dog, my father had was going through chemo at the time mm-hmm. and he had prostate cancer and then they pulled a polyp and he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So he was, he was on chemo for a long time and it was getting kind of dire there for a while. And one day he looked at me and said, Hey, you can get another dog. And I said, Oh, no, Dad, because I, I moved home to be with him and stuff. And I said, oh, no, we got to take care of you. He goes, here, I'll get through all this. You get a dog. And I said, oh, I got, well, if I move back to Chicago, there's no way I can have a dog there. He goes, oh, you can do it. We'll potty train it for you, and then you bring that dog back to me when it's finished. I said, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and so he took it for that month They when I got it and then brought it to me. And then for two, three years, we got at some great, great hunts together. You know, and in yeah. a way, that dog – you know, your dad probably enjoyed that because, you know, it took his mind off of, you know, what he was probably going through. So he probably enjoyed, you know, doing that. Oh, he'd call me and say, how's the dog doing? Hey, dad, nice to see you, too. Yeah, Work's going fine. Yeah. <laughs> Send some money for the dog, will you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just doing that in, in the city. I, I couldn't imagine because I can remember, you know, just how easy it is for us you just let Lou just goes out and he does what he needs to do and you don't have to worry about him he's in a fence but like you said it's a whole process up there you oh. got to be decent going you can't just go outside in your underoos and a robe like you got to put on clothes you got to put on tennis shoes and uh, my, my my hat's off to you so how long 
Go ahead. Go, go no, ahead. no, no, no. Go ahead. What were you going to say? We had some good experiences there because we that dog learned to swim in Lake Michigan. So there wasn't a river or a stream or anything that she couldn't swim because those waves get big. And there's, I always like to say she was pampered. We took her to the dog spa and stuff and got her nails all trimmed up and everything. So she was pampered, but going home, that was that she was, I needed her to give me balance in life because being a young attorney at a firm like that, it's just, it's stressful. But to be able to come home and wake up with her and do our stuff in the fall and winter, it was, I needed it. And it, it was difficult, but it helped me keep myself centered. So what are the hours like as a young attorney? 80 hours a week? <laughs> yeah. I, I say I build 2,400 hours a year. So that's, I don't know, 60, 70 hour weeks. And it's not, I mean, e- it's not easy. Like you're not just twiddling your thumbs. Like it's flat out, right? No. Yeah, it's flat out, and you're and you're judging. We're watching election cycles. We're watching developments. Everything's always on a timeline. It's it's tough. And I had a good shop there, but it it's it's not fun. I would run home for lunch every day though, because I took the train. So take the train home for lunch, let the dog out, and go back in and stay. So it was interesting, but we did it. So what's that? That's like what eight to eight every day. Um, I'd say you start about eight. Take my break during lunch come home around six, work the dog a little bit. I'd work her in the morning too. But then from about eight to 1030 every night, I'm doing emails. I'm catching up on emails from the day. So it's, it's, I split it up pretty good, but it was sunrise to sunset to dark. Yeah. That's, it's such, now what, what are your, I mean, are you pulling those kind of hours now in your new gig? Not at all. Not Not at at all. all. The government life is a lot more balanced, which I didn't even realize it. I think, it took me about nine months to take a vacation because mm-hmm. before our vacations were you're leaving the office, but you're still on call the whole time. Yeah. Now I took a vacation and I'm thinking, well, no one's calling me. No one's texting me. No one's emailing me. What is this? So, yeah, it's a lot better. So this is going to be a little controversial, but this is going to be the only we'll hold your feet to the fire here just a little bit. <laughs> I, do you know who Dr. Peterson is? Jordan that's Peterson. The, that's got, he's a sociologist or he's a, what psych, does he do? he's a, he's a, yeah, he's a psych, psychiatrist. Um, okay. but anyway, he's got a very interesting point about, so the gender pay gap is a big issue and a lot of people, you know, 70 cents on a dollar. You hear that a lot, but he's got a very interesting argument that the reason you don't see a lot of women in these high stress jobs, like being an attorney is because they'll work until about the time they get married and have a family and they realize that they can't pull the 80 hours a week and be a mom. So it's not necessarily that there's a pay gap. It's just that there's a motherhood gap more than anything. Because if you look at women, they marry across and up so, uh, sociolo- sociological. They, basically, they're going to marry somebody on their level or up sociologically, Mm -hmm. pay-wise. So they have a husband that's bringing in a good living, and they realize they can work half as much, and they'll still have their bills paid. Is Mm -hmm. that what you saw in your profession as in this high go-go-go life of an Uh, attorney? Not really. I I clerked for an Illinois Supreme Court justice who's now the chief of the Illinois Supreme Court, and she was, she was an amazing, amazing woman. Her husband was one of the most powerful politicians in the state of Illinois. And I worked under some high-profile women attorneys who were rainmakers at big shops. But I will say the disparity between how many of those big-shot attorney 
women there were and men is a big difference. Like if there's one woman, there's just roughly 20 men. Mm-hmm. But there was – so in a sense, what you're saying is probably correct But I, because they're just less women that I ran into and stuff. But the ones that I did, man, they were amazing attorneys and right. got a lot of billable work from them. So they were good. And that's what he said. He said, you know, women that do figure out how to do it, they're unstoppable because they're mm-hmm. up at 4 o'clock in the morning. They're working out. They're taking care of their emails. They're getting the kids ready for school. They do what they have to do at work. They come home. They, you know, they're with their kids. And then from 8 to, like you said, about 1030 or 11, they're catching up on emails that they missed out on while they were taking care of their family. And then they're up at 4 o'clock again in the morning, and they're just unstoppable. Yeah, but, and I, I definitely saw more in my range, more female attorneys than males. But also, if I was ever working against a female attorney, I always felt like I had to be on my toes because they were just, they were good. Oh, yeah. They were, I've, I've, I've gone to the wire with a couple of them, and I just, woo, I just keep everything straight because they, they're good. <laughs> They'll cut I, you I'm up. I'm guessing it's just that grind to be there because you're in a, uh, a, a man's world, if you will, mm-hmm. and those ones who were there were good. I never ran into one bad female attorney. Yeah. Ever. I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Like you just got to be so polished because you've got so many things, and you better know your stuff. And like you said, you know, if you're in a man male dominated, you know, profession, for lack of a better word, like you better have your shit in order. And just, mm-hmm. I mean, they just cut people up. But I don't know. I just I just didn't know what uh, what you had seen in uh, in your time there. And he explains it a lot better than I did. I'm sure I butchered his approach, but. Uh, you know, and the que- I understand and, what he's saying. And he says it makes the, sense. He yeah. says the question is not why aren't there more women that do this. It's why the hell would anybody in their right mind want to work eighty hours a week and just go flat out for that long? That's the real question. Is why the hell would anybody want to do that? All right, Douglas. My last question for you is: uh-huh. Are you a Chief fan? No. Well, who's your team? I like Julio Jones, so I'm a Titans fan right now. Oh, so you were an Atlanta fan. I think. That Tennessee is legit Super Bowl contender now. Agreed. Well, they were last year. That's right. But I think that this made them even better. I think Tulio Jones, if he plays nine or ten games fully healthy, they Tannehill's numbers are very comparable to Mahomes' numbers. Nobody ever wants to talk about that. I think that was a good move by Tennessee. I think Atlanta's I think Atlanta was stupid for doing that though, honestly. I want to get started with the Falcons. I, that's that's I've been very upset for a while with Matt Ryan there. I wanted to see Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and Jones play, and I think that Matt Ryan is one of the typical. I think Dak Prescott's a lot like Matt Ryan, a ton of talent, but just does not have that dog in him to be the winner. Mm-hmm. Well, you saw the Super Bowl. Yep, that's <laughs> I mean, we that, all saw it. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> okay. who, who, Sit, was, yeah. What's your Super Bowl picks for this year? Uh I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll put Tennessee all the way through, and I, that's, that'll be my winner. I'll see what everything else does. I, uh, Tom Brady is going to be tough to beat again. Don't don't count that guy out though. I mean, he is. Okay, you're giving I, me a p- politician's answer. Now they're saying he had knee problems all last year, so, so there's no telling what he's going to so be like if he's healthy. You're taking Tennessee to beat who in the Super Bowl? We'll say Tom. Okay, now are you picking Tennessee because you really think that's a team, or just because you love Julio Jones? I, I love Julio Jones. How did and that come it, to it's be? It's irrational, but here you go. Nebraska people, you can pick whatever you want because there's not any professional teams, so you can pick whoever you want. How'd you get How'd this you love settle- affair for Julio? Yeah. 
Uh, I think his name's Quintoris, and I just loved his name. What? <laughs> his name's yeah. Quintoris? It's like Quintoris something, Quintoris Julio Lopez Jones or something like that. I don't know. Google his name real Jeez, quick. Jeez, he's got enough him and Him and AJ Green both have some great names. And I, just, I didn't know like, AJ loved. Green had a weird name. Hold on, yeah. let me look at this. Julio Jones is a great guy because he doesn't cause problems. He goes to work every day. I think he's a, I think he's a great team player. And and one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the game. But 100% I, agree. I loved Randy Moss. Randy Moss was my guy growing up. I loved Randy. I just love those big, tall, fast receivers that can get over the top and blow cover twos open. And that was Randy Moss, and then he's gone, and then Julio. You so, are right. Go ahead. Julio, or it's Quintoris Lopez Julio Jones Jr. Good Lord. <laughs> What's A.J. Green's name? Oh, A.J.'s got a funny one, too. I got to look that up. Um, so do you play fantasy football? Yes. Yeah. So and I've who, never had Julio on my team. You've ever. never had I him just, on your team? No. No, I always get beat out. Yep. A Adriel Jeremiah Green. Yeah. And I'm sure Adriel. I I'm sure I butchered that. Adriel. And you've never had Julio on your team. No, it kills me every year watching him beat me up. Well, last year wasn't that bad, but No, because I had him last year, so that, that screwed me up. It was it came down between uh Devontae Adams or Julio and I took I took Julio, and I regretted that from week one. Um, so the well, I got to ask you guys: Are you guys college football fans? In are you yeah, Texas we, Tech people or what? Andy graduated from Tech, so I've spent a lot of money at Tech, but I'm not a Tech fan at all. I'm a Texas guy. Okay, I'm a, so there's some blood between Texas and Nebraska people. So my family told me I got to ask you this. And they're all telling me, ask him, ask him the question. <laughs> what do you mean? The question? This is gonna be about the you pass. know. This is gonna be the pass. No, they said they want to know if you guys have Longhorns on all your cars. No, a lot of people do though. Yeah, you see it. That it, you see it. Where we're at in West Texas, it's more of the double T than yep. it is Longhorns. The Texas, but Texas. you do see you do see the Longhorn quite a bit. I don't. I don't. I have some Longhorn stuff. I've got a jacket or two I wear of Longhorn stuff. It's a great color. I, I have been really, <laughs> really disappointed with Texas's recruiting the last ten years. There is no reason why we can't get someone that can catch the ball and there ain't no reason why we can't get someone that can put pressure on a quarterback. And the University of Texas has gotten so politically correct about shit that it's such a liberal university that it almost makes me puke to even go for them. Um, but I'm still a Texas guy. I hope they win the College World Series. Um, but I don't I don't lose sleep and, and get all worked up if they don't win. That's mm. bullshit. No, I don't, I don't. No, I don't. Nowadays, I don't. Nowadays, you don't. No. Well, okay, I'll go for that. But there's a time in your life where if they lost, it was not. It was hell on Sunday. Well, we expected them to win back then. We haven't expected them to win in the last long time. I wish they would have never fired Charlie Strong. I really liked him. I thought oh, he was. Yeah. A, I thought he was a good coach because he was a disciplinarian, and I think they need that. Um, and I loved Vince Young. He was my all-time oh, favorite what a, quarterback. And what, I come from Tommy Frazier and everyone in yeah. Nebraska, but Vince Young was. He was oh, a stud. I loved him. You know, we yeah. had this we had this argument a couple weeks ago in here. If they ran the offenses they ran today, Vince Young would have been a big time NFL starting quarterback. Correct. He was before his time. He was too good. I mean, he's like six five and that four four forty and just could run. Yeah. He's a gazelle. Because I don't I think Lamar Jackson is very overrated. But his yeah. offense that he runs caters to his – and that's what you should do. You should put offense in to cater what you have. He is that's a, what Carolina did when that's right. Cam came up there because yeah. – bless his heart, Cam just wasn't a smart, smart quarterback. 
and Carolina dumbed down that offense for him, and you saw what it did. Yep, I mean, they won the Super Bowl. That's right. See, but I don't know if Vince was a very smart quarterback either. No, but he'd run no. over your ass, and they could have ran the same play, the whatever they call that, uh, option read or whatever it is. Read option. Read option yeah. offense. If, if, if Vince Young would have got to be where Lamar Jackson is right now in that offense, he would have been just as successful more successful than Lamar Jackson. But, yeah, what a stud. The greatest game, the greatest <laughs> game ever by one athlete was when they beat USC. Uh, everybody, I just got chills thinking about oh, that. I, everybody in my town was happy big except USC Andy. friends, too, and you can watch those USC rosters loaded with NFL talent, and Vince Young you know, showed up for you guys there. That was cool. Yeah, what a player. But well, I, was watch, I had to watch that game with this dickhead over here. <laughs> it was terrible. Terrible, because I was going for SC. I don't, and I don't know if Steve Sarkasian's the right answer for Texas. Texas screwed up. They could have hired Nick Saban away from Alabama about seven years ago, and they didn't do it. And that was a dumb move. That was a dumb, dumb, dumb move. So we'll see. What's going to happen when Nick Saban retires? He's because not going to. He's he, going to die on the football field. He signed through like 2029 now, I well, saw. But, but, <laughs> but when he leaves, what's going to happen? Because Alabama before Saban, they had had some rough years too. Yeah, and so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when those dynamics. Because Ohio State, it doesn't matter who's coaching there; they keep winning. They just pull talent. I will say that the US, USC fans that we or alumni that we hang out with, they believe that there is a conspiracy between the SEC telling on Reggie Bush. Because if you look when SEC, USC came kind of down after that after that bowl game. The SEC kind of rose up out of nowhere, which I thought was always always kind of crazy. But those SC folks, yeah, they're they're diehard and they're mad about the SEC being so good. So well, what do they say that that there was a? Uh, they they're the ones that told the NCAA about Reggie Bush and everything and signing all the the memorabilia and stuff, and that's kind of what. Because when Pete Carroll left, I mean USC really took a tank. And, you know, when Pete Carroll was there, he'd have to leave his backyard to find talent. And <laughs> SC is right. I mean, that's a huge state, but he yeah. didn't need to leave the state of California. And if he did, he'd take a recruit. And now SC has to fight with Oregon for players. I mean, that yeah. that's not right. And even you guys, Texas, why are you guys fighting for players with anybody? I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. Well, that's just what I was used to. But I'm glad there's some parody, but still. Now, I thought you was going to ask me if I thought that the uh, the Colt McCoy pass. <laughs> was oh, the time ran out? Yeah, I yeah. figured I, I wasn't going to get into that today. I figured that's what was going to come down the road, and 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 I don't know, but oh, I will yeah. say this: if Colt McCoy wouldn't have got hurt, we would have beat Alabama that year. I think we wouldn't have beat Alabama that year. So I was glad to see you guys at least made it there, and well, it was a game for a little while. And we would we would if Colt McCoy wouldn't have got hurt, we would have beat him. I think I really do because I think we'd have hung forty or fifty on him. We had a hell of yeah. an offense back. Is that then. the year Tech beat y'all? No. Oh, it wasn't? I don't think so. I think it was the year before Tech beat us. Uh, was that the Crabtree? I don't know. That that was a that was that's, a rough night for that, poor Jeff. Here. That's how shitty Texas Tech's whole world is. Is the catch <laughs> of Crabtree is their greatest memory in football, not winning a national championship, and their whole thing they can go to at Tech, and this can piss off a lot of our listeners, is they're known for a women's basketball national championship. That's it. No, nah, the air raid, air the air, the air raid, raid offense. But they, but they never, is. but they never won nothing. They beat Texas. It doesn't matter. They beat Texas. That's right. You beat Texas. That's your whole deal. Texas isn't beating and Texas Tech. And they made the air raid offense. Well, they, and Mike Leach, right? Yeah. And that he, that and was another thing. They should have never got rid of Mike Leach. And he left. So that's what I'm saying. Tech they has, fired him. 
That's it. Now, then Tech become a basketball school, and then their basketball coach went to Texas. Well, now we're a baseball school, Jeff. Now, we were this close to getting – we were nine runs away from who's, – Who's playing in the College World Series, though? Texas. We were nine, run away, we were nine runs away from beating Stanford yesterday. Texas Ten is. runs away. <laughs> not Arkansas, not Texas Tech, but Texas is playing in the College World Series. Just you can't win. You can't win. He's a dick, Douglas. So when are you guys coming up to Kansas City? Um, um, I had thought about going to the Rogers uh, show the first weekend in August. Problem is, is uh, we're going to be at Game Fair the weekend after that. So I don't know. Minnesota is that where that one's at? Yes, oh, sir. Minnesota. Yeah. So we'll be up there for that one for sure. I don't know. I don't know when we're coming to Kansas City. If we, if if I go to Kansas City, it'll be the first weekend in August. All right. Like Let me know. Show. If we go to – if we drive to Game Fair, we will come through Minnesota. I mean, Min- Kansas I can't see. But if we fly, then we're going to hopefully go over it at about 30,000 feet. <laughs> you need- That's a long drive for you guys to go it all is. the way drive up to Minnesota. St. Louis was a long drive. How long was that? Ten hours. Yeah, about ten Ooh. hours. That's wasting a whole day, yeah. I think yeah. Minneapolis is from here is about a 14-hour drive. Yeah. How far is Minneapolis from y'all? Six hours? Yeah, about six. Yeah, so it's about a 14-hour drive from here. It's a long day. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just it's just a ways. It's but, nice being over here in the central flyway, though. There's just so yeah. many birds, and six hours is not bad. I mean, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll start in September and go up to Rochester and hunt up there for a bit. And, you will? In the early season. Yep. Do you have friends up there, or are you just freelance? Uh, I have some friends up there that I hunt with, mm-hmm. and then because that's where those giants are. I, you have, you've had a couple of the people that I've heard about up there. I mean, there's some guys that sing the geese up there. It's It's pretty crazy. But yeah. I start up there in September, then I'll be up there in October with the, in the grouse woods, and then I'll start working my way down south. And I just go for weekends. I drive up there on Friday evenings and come back down. Where do you grouse? Where are you grouse hunting at up there? Up around Ely and stuff. So it's like that northwest corner of Wisconsin, that part of Minnesota. This will be my first year in the grouse the grouse woods. So I'm bringing a photographer with me. We're gonna make up some production stuff out of it. It'll be my first time in the grouse woods, and I've I've never been grouse hunting. And those the woods are like them. That's the Minnesota. Those North Woods are to them. Yeah. So I'm really excited to write about it, and take a photographer and some people up to just uh, explore it with me and try to show people what it's like. So I'm, I you, think it'll be cool. Are you going north of Duluth, or are you going to stay in Wisconsin? Uh, so we'll hop. I'll be up there for almost a week. So we're there. I have two different grouse camps that I was invited to. So um, I think part of it will be north of Duluth on the second half but the first half will be on in the wisconsin side that's a beautiful area right through there that's from the prettiest country in america i'm excited to see it they're they're telling me about these grouse dogs grouse woods and i'm like all right well what is this thing let's, <laughs> let's just make it happen and the pheasants forever folks invited me up so i'm going oh you've never been up there before never oh that you're going to be in the iron range area that's be- that's some beautiful beautiful country i'm telling you right now are you dri- you're going to drive up or flying up I'll drive because we have a wedding to go to up there too. So I'll drive up there just so I can drive. I like to drive. So go to Betty's Pies. Betty's Pies. Betty's Pies is north of Duluth. It's excellent. <laughs> it's right on. It's right on Lake Superior. I think it's in uh, Pigeon Fall, Gooseberry Falls, or somewhere close to there. I can't remember the name of the town, but it's right. It's right. Everybody knows where it is. Right outside of Duluth. That's a, that's a really cool deal. I knew a guy that used to um, hunt. And they hunted northern Minnesota, like right on the Canadian border. Hmm. And they would they would grouse and that's a gentleman's sport right there. So I wish it'll be best. interesting. And I can't wait wait to read your tales from it. You need to uh, you got an open invitation down here anytime you want to come. So you can 
shoot a nice speckle belly for that wall back there if you want one. Yeah, yeah. I don't usually mount my birds, but yeah. Point, yeah, point love, the truck south it. and anytime. Uh, do you read Do you read Nash Buck, Buckingham? I, I do not. No, no. Tell me about him. You need to read The Deshootinous Gentleman. Okay. By Nash Buckingham before you go up there because a lot of his stories are the same kind of stuff you're going to be experiencing up there. Cool. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm, I'm, I'm really – I mean, that's – when I talk to the Pheasants Forever folks, they all talk about the Northwoods, and it seems – like to me, that's what the prairies are here. It's what I what I call home. So, well, you being a snob bourbon drinker <laughs> and a grouse hunter, you're going to fit right in up there. What What's your favorite bourbon? I don't know. I think I've been to this Kentucky Owl lately. I like that Kentucky Owl. Do you uh, Do you ever listen to the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast? They're all about the bourbon. Are they? I'll have to the, check that out. I, I tell you, I don't know much about it. I just know when he'll send me care packages, and it's ooh. The tough three roses. It's the the pig. I mean, it's it's good stuff. So what, 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 what's the first one you said? Is it three roses or four roses or something like that? Is is, that's, is a nice one. That's that, a sh- Andy got hammered on that Friday night. That's what, yeah, I, we that's what that guy had. Up. Yes. Andy was as drunk as he ever was in college no, the other I'm, night. No, what's bad is I was not. <laughs> you weren't. No, from you, college. Okay. Well, you were hurting Fuck pretty bad. No. I was hurting. <laughs> I had a I had a headache. I could not get rid of the heat with the. We're not used to humidity here, and mm. you would just walk outside, and it would just melt you. I was Heavy. drinking so much water and Gatorade and anything, I get, and I could not get rid of this freaking headache. Um, everybody's like, you just got to wake up and pound a beer, and you're, you're good to go, but I, I couldn't do You it. didn't pound a beer. You mixed one with some Gatorade. I've That's never heard of nobody pers- doing that. It was, like a, it was like a summer shanty. It wasn't bad. It was like a line and kugel summer shanty. Oh, that sounds drinking. horrible, doesn't it, Douglas? You don't like yeah, that. yeah. I mean, we... We call these things. Um, a couple of my buddies and I, we mix a little shot of vodka and put it on top of Budweiser and call it a oh. Russian Budweiser. But I've never done that Gatorade mm. thing. That makes me want to puke just I hearing that. I was drinking Gatorade <laughs> in the Pacific. It's a game day thing. They were like, mm. "Listen, we'll put we'll put some beer in there." I like summer shanty though, so mm. line of Kugel summer shanty is, is my jam during this time of year. So it wasn't bad for me. Um, they were also drinking Larceny beer. Have you ever or bourbon? I'm sorry. Mm. It's another. No, one. I haven't heard of it. That's the one that they shut down, right? They had a bad batch, and yeah, they, were, they had took a, all the bottles. They had off. a bad batch, and anyway, they because Logan uh, he had tried it before and done a bourbon review on it, and it wasn't any good. Because and then Larson he said they had a bad batch, and they they were pulling bottles off. So he had it again Saturday night, and he said this is way better than what we had. Um, mm. But he's telling us like how to like smell it and all this other stuff, and I just I don't. The only thing I get is like really, really hot right here. I don't, I don't catch any of the other notes. I don't taste maple. I don't taste nuts. I don't taste. It's just hot is all I taste. So uh, it's good. It's good. I don't drink it too much though, just because, like I said, I was spoiled and I don't know how to buy it. And the stuff that I would want is too expensive for me. Yeah, we had Pappy here. I guess that's. Oh yeah, that's yeah. the that's the expensive stuff. So there's a place in Cedar Falls, Iowa called Whiskey Road. Mm-hmm. That has Pappy on the shelf. Every time I've been in there, there's Pappy on the shelf. So if anyone's ever going out the way, it, I mean, it's I was like, what is going on here? You're in the middle of Iowa, but yeah, you got to take it, man. You got to buy it. Put it, put it in your collection. They did a tasting one day. They had like what is it, the seven, the twelve, and the twenty or something for a hundred bucks. You got to be kidding me! All right, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Did you? Can you tell the difference between the three of them? 
No, I'm not that good. See, I, to me, it tastes like it tastes like whiskey to me. I just and, I, I and don't the hibiki stuff. I just I have no idea. Yeah. That's that's why I say I, I know it tastes good, but I'm not <laughs> an expert at all. I would really offend them because I'd like, yeah, can I have that with a coke, please? Yeah. yeah, put a little honey in that for me, will you? Yeah, they'd they kill them. They'd run you two out the door. Man, you have been a very, very interesting guy <laughs> to talk to. Time. We look forward to seeing you, and hope you come see us sometime. Yeah, I'll try to. I'll try to make it down this year. I, I'll tell you what, though. I used the dog won't be ready here, but I used to be the guy that comes to the club with the dog that calls up and say, "Hey, just, I got a dog. Can I bring me? it?" People yeah. say, oh, "I don't know." I said, well, "Okay, I'll let you see it in five minutes. If you don't <laughs> like it, we'll keep going. I'll, I'll pay you in advance, and we'll see." And never got shut down yet, but. We'll see. The main thing is just as long as it's still and quiet. That's that's the main thing. Or basically, basically just still because shit loose still gets worked up sometimes. So as long as it's at, uh, you know, where it's supposed to be. And There's so many bad – there's so many dogs there that can ruin, ruin a hunt, though. So I, I'm always yeah. – uh, that's why I always pay in advance and tell them if you like it, you like it. If you don't, the dog will go in the truck. So Yeah. Well, this was uh, – I had a lot of fun talking to you, man, and uh, good luck the rest of the summer, and I hope that you have a great trip uh, here in September. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks, and uh, maybe we'll see you in August. If not, I'll definitely try to come down for a couple days. Like I said, I'm a weekend guy, so I'll just drive down on Friday, well, come down, and come back Sunday. We'd love to have you, ha- have you with us, bud. I appreciate you. God bless you, and have a great, great, great rest of your summer. All right. You take care now. Thanks again Thank for you. having me on. You appreciate bet. It. Douglas. Uh, Bye. Bye. Douglas Bale. I've I've always enjoyed reading about the grouse hunting in northern Minnesota in that area. That's a pretty area. Be a really cool time. Yeah, it will be. That's a gentleman hunt, Andy, and the way you handled your bourbon the other night, I don't think you'd be invited back. You didn't do very well. That's ugly of you to say, Jeff. Well, we go to we go to St. Louis and you you got really, really inebriated and, and then Tony threw his his shoulder out. And now Logan told me, text me this morning, says his elbow's ripped up bad, too. So I wonder if he ripped that sack in there. So he finally got sober enough to, to feel. To know he was hurting. Because <laughs> yesterday, when we saw him, he didn't say anything about yeah. his elbow hurting. He's but now went, that it's Monday. Yeah, he went to lift weights this morning, and he said it was miserable. Really? Yeah, miserable. Yeah, he finally sobered up and realized <laughs> he had done some damage. All right, I appreciate some, it. I, I got to tell you, man, there's some tough guys out there. We'll, we'll have that on another podcast. I appreciate y'all listening. God bless y'all, and have a great week. How are you feeling? Go check out all of our sponsors. Check out Bangtail Whiskey, Goose Creek Retrievers, Eyesight Drone Services, Gundog Outdoors, Dive Bomb Industry Specific Calls, Boss Shot Shells, Dirty Duck Coffee, Lucky Duck, uh, Looking Glass Duck Club Podcast, and Gundog Outdoors.